Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Old Cranky Bones podcast. I am your host, Chris Wilson, and I thank you so much for joining me back here for the episode this week. I'm also grateful that you guys allowed me some grace to take some time off between the previous episode and this one. I had put out on Threads, which is my new permanent home for social media, that uh, there wasn't going to be a new podcast episode the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, So for those of you who like to listen to the episode regularly, Thanks for hanging in there and waiting for the new episode to come out. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to take some time off and and really spend it with family and friends and just trying to unwind a little bit and relax and clear my head and and nurture the family relationship and make sure that I was paying, um, you know, the proper amount of attention that I need to be um, to show thanks for the things that I am grateful for and have gratitude for in my life. I hope that each of you were able to have a similar experience over the Thanksgiving holiday. I know that there are a lot of folks out there um, who find Thanksgiving to be a rather stressful time of year. Um, The holidays can be tough on folks. Um, Even if you had an opportunity to get away and go see family, I know sometimes there's a lot of travel involved. That can be a stressful situation. I just hope that each of you had time to kind of relax and Just take it easy, take a load off for a little while, and just reflect back on this year and the things that you've been through, the things that you've experienced, and that you just had an enjoyable holiday. Can you believe we're already into December? Man, Christmas right around the corner before you know it. And it has been a, it's been a hell of a year, to put it mildly. A lot of things going on this year for a lot of folks. Um... And 2024 looks to be a rather consequential year as well. There's a lot of interesting things coming up in 2024 um, that we're going to have to pay attention to. And I think you are getting ready to kick into a brand new election cycle in 2024. Things are going to start kicking into high gear with primaries, um, national conventions for both the Democratic and Republican parties. And we're going to see how the whole situation with Donald J. Trump is going to play out because it's just a few months' time coming up now in March, notwithstanding any potential delays that may occur between now and then. Um, His federal trial for election interference and subversion for January 6th is going to be coming up in March. And 2024 is going to see the kickoff of a long year of legal issues for Trump. It's going to be very interesting to see how things go down with his pretty much all but guaranteed candidacy um, as the Republican Party's standard bearer for President of the United States. Uh, Once everything kicks into gear with these criminal proceedings, it's going to be very, very interesting to keep an eye on that and to see what's going to go down in 2024. But we're already starting to see all the political commercials hitting the airwaves. You can't even watch YouTube anymore without political ads just trying to turn you in one direction or another. So buckle up and get comfortable, folks, because it's going to be like that for a while. And I've got a sneaky suspicion that as the months go on in 2024, it's just going to be a just a regular bombardment of politically related ads news stories, you know, as bad as as Trump has been flipping out um, already in the New York fraud case, 
just wait until time gets a little bit closer for this actual criminal case where he is in genuine, real, authentic danger of becoming a convicted felon early this spring. You think he's mad about the, what's going on in New York right now? Wait until he goes to trial in D.C. and he's facing actual criminal penalties. That is going to be a doozy. I think he's primarily mad about what's going on in New York because it hits at the core of his identity, which is his perceived wealth, how much money this guy has. There is not much else that he takes more personally just due to whatever psychoses that are that is going on in his mind than attacks on his perceived net worth, how much money this guy's got in the bank, his level of success, and basically what I think is the entire invented character of Donald Trump that he presents to the public in order to convince them that he is some type of fabulous businessman who holds all the mental secrets to success and can take the United States down that same road. Let me tell you right now, and for those of you who are listening to this, it's a smokescreen. It's all 100% a complete smokescreen. It's smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion. It's a mirage. This guy is not and has never been who he claims to be. And in 2024, I think the chickens are finally going to come home to roost for this. Not just for him, but for his family. I feel like we're going to start to see the gradual devolution, you know, beyond what we've already seen of the Trumps. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens to the Republican Party. And if they can evolve into a group that's willing to finally go a different direction, perhaps go with former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley or something like that as their standard standard bearer, excuse me, or if they're going to continue and it's going to be ride or die with Trump all the way. I think it's going to be ride or die with Trump. I think this guy may literally be a convicted felon and then standing on a stage at the Republican National Convention and accepting a nomination to be the Republican candidate for President of the United States. And wouldn't that be something to see? Wouldn't that finally be a true and accurate representation of the state of the modern Republican Party and where this man has taken it with that death grip that he has on the GOP these days? Certainly going to be interesting. So buckle up, kiddos, because it's going to be a wild ride. Well, it's good to be back, guys. We missed a lot of news events over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to try to keep it here a little bit more recent as I sit here recording in the old car studio on Saturday night. And I'm thinking about what happened just yesterday on Friday, December 1st, when the House took a historic vote to finally kick George Santos, the embattled and controversial um, now former congressman from the 3rd District of New York, out of his seat. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. George has been a one-man show of corruption and fraud um, since the day he was sworn into office. And it goes back even farther than that. A lot of people forget that George ran for Congress before and was defeated back in November of 2020 um, by then-Democratic Representative Tom Susie out of New York 
Took him two weeks to concede the loss on that one. And then George would later go on and actually speak at the rally on the Ellipse on January 6, 2021, the now infamous so-called Stop the Steal rally. We all know what happened there. But, um, yeah, George gave a speech at that rally and would later go on to make remarks about Donald Trump's so-called performance that day at the rally uh, by saying, and I quote, he was in his full awesomeness that day. Um, so, you know what, if I didn't know anything else about the guy, that would have been enough for me right there. But boy, does that record just get worse and worse and worse. You can trace this all the way back to, um, his announcement for his second campaign for Congress back in 2021, when the guy started putting on his campaign website, his biography, uh, which at the time uh, suggested that he had attended Baruch College and that he had been employed as an associate asset manager at Citigroup and had worked at Goldman Sachs and so forth and so on. Flashing forward to September of 2022, when he turned in his personal financial disclosure report, he claimed assets as high as $11 million. Now, this caught the attention of a local newspaper there in the Long Island area, uh, the North Shore Leader, which decided to do a little digging into this because it was a pretty substantial boost from the financial assets that he claimed he had possession of when he ran for Congress the first time. Um, So that's kind of when the investigation began into that. And as we all know, later on, that would spiral uh, into just the absolute crap show that it ended up being. Um, You know, it just got worse from there. You move forward to November of 2022 uh, when Santos went out in front of the Republican Jewish Coalition Summit and essentially made a comment, something along the lines of, hey, now there's going to be three Jewish Republican members of Congress, um, and had even distributed a position paper um, earlier in which he claimed to be a, quote, proud American Jew, another complete and total fabrication. Um, You move forward to November 21st of 2022, the guy goes off and he does an interview with WNYC talking about how he once worked for a firm that lost four employees in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Well, I mean, they looked into that, and it turns out that um, the New York Times had later reported on that none of the 48 victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting in the you know, Orlando, Florida, appeared to have worked in any of the various firms whatsoever of which Santos appeared to be or claimed to be associated or affiliated with. Chalk another horrendous lie up on the record. And then by the time December 19 of 2022 rolls around, the Times finally rolls around and um, puts out its just absolute uh, bombshell report, um, reporting essentially that Santos had lied on his resume and that his lawyer, uh, in his defense, had kind of dismissed the story in a statement, essentially saying that Santos was being smeared by so-called enemies at the paper. Uh, They called the allegations defamatory. And, you know, they, they didn't really address the specific claims in the Times reporting. It was just your usual enemy of the people, um, defamatory slander, witch hunt kind of BS. The kind of stuff that uh, most MAGA politicians are known for because they're copying their dear orange leader. You know, later on, representatives would reach out to Baruch College and New York University, where Santos also claimed he had a degree from. They had no record of the guy's attendance. They talked with Citigroup. They talked with Goldman Sachs. Had no record of his employment there. Santos would later go on and talk about um, his grandparents supposedly fleeing the Holocaust. 
he said at one point that his mother, um, he lost his mother in, in, at 9-11. Um, I mean, just a completely, completely, entirely fabricated resume history and level of experience. But you know what really got me out of all that other stuff, out of all that stuff that accumulated was uh, scamming the guy by doing the the GoFundMe page to raise money for the medical and veterinary costs for a um, a dog, for a homeless veteran's dog. This guy got together, worked with a dude, raised money, raised a GoFundMe to raise funds for a very sick animal, a uh, PTSD therapy dog, I believe, for a veteran. He raised like 3000 bucks, and the guy never saw a penny of it. Santo stole the money. I mean, I don't, you know, granted all the other embellishments, all the lies, the complete resume fabrication to get yourself elected to Congress, stealing money from a sick dog, a sick animal, that for me on a personal level is the worst. I mean, I think you're just in a complete and total horrible person if you're going to go down that road. If you're so desperate and hard up for cash that you're going to scam the guy out of GoFundMe funds and not give money to a sick dog, then you get everything that you deserve. And Santos is certainly getting everything that he deserves in this particular case, and I think he's got more headed his way. Karma's a bitch, as they say. So I'm here today on this fine Saturday to officially say farewell and fair winds and following seas and goodbye to George Anthony DeVolder Katara Rivache Santos. Um, we shall not miss thee, and as they say here in the South, May the door hit you where the good Lord split you on your way out. Now, you know, if you follow politics in Washington whatsoever, you know that for quite a while now, the Republican Party has been trying to find any excuse whatever that they can use to impeach Joe Biden. So far, they haven't had a lot of luck. They've had some really disastrous hearings. They've opened up a so-called formal impeachment inquiry into the, God, I even hate to use this term, the, the so-called Biden crime family, which is completely absurd. Why are they doing this? Well, if you've got half a brain, you know why you're doing it. They're doing it as revenge on behalf of Donald Trump. That's why. Trump was impeached twice during his term. And justifiably, I might add. So the House has been trying to drum up any reason whatsoever they can to try to get Joe Biden in hot water so they've got an excuse to impeach him. And they're dragging the president's son, Hunter, along for the ride. Now, with everything that's been going on, we found out recently that Hunter was subpoenaed to testify in front of the House Oversight Committee as part of the formal impeachment inquiry. And he decided he would be willing to do that, calling the Republicans bluff, but he did it under one condition, that the testimony be public. Well, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer decided that wouldn't be a great idea. He wants Hunter to testify because he's been after it for a while. That's certainly everything he's been saying on the late night and uh, cable news programs. Um, but he wants him to do it in a closed-door setting. Why? Because they want to be able to BS their way out of it. 
they want to be able to come out after the testimony and they want to be able to spin and they want to be able to lie and they want to be able to say that things went a certain way when in reality it more than likely didn't. And they want to be able to have Moskowitz and Jamie Raskin and others from the uh, Democratic contingent come out and give their side of things and it basically just be a he said, she said. Because they know that a certain portion and percentage of the electorate is going to buy everything that they have to say, hook, line, and sinker, and it's not going to matter. Because ultimately, up and until and at least a transcript gets released, if it ever does, it's going to be a he said, she said situation. And, you know, one side is going to believe, you know, a certain set of politicians, and the other side is going to believe a certain set of politicians, and nobody's going to be none the wiser. But Hunter Biden wants to do it in a public setting. And that's exactly where it should be done, because if this is as consequential as the Republicans would like you to believe it is, then I would think they would want the American people to hear what Hunter Biden has to say, especially when they decide to pelt him with all the ridiculous questions that we know they've got waiting for him. Excuse me while I put my coffee cup down after taking a sip here. But here's the thing that caught my eye. The other day, I think it was Wednesday of this past week, when Comer was holding a press conference talking about this whole thing, I noticed the front of the podium that he was standing behind. And on the podium was a sign with a very fancy pre-printed graphic that basically just said Biden impeachment inquiry. But it was done um, in like a colorful, eye-catching manner with like, distressed looking font and it was the kind of thing that might be generated by a news media outlet um, that they would lead off some breaking news story with where they're trying to really kind of keep your attention and make you feel like that everything that you're about to hear is of substance or has some weight behind it and I gotta be honest with you it pisses me off Now, let me tell you a little bit about why something as simple as a sign ticks me off. Signs are unnecessary. They're completely unnecessary in this particular case. And if you think about it, why do logos and graphics and things of that nature, why are they used? Why are they developed? Why are they printed? They're used to capture your attention. They captivate attention through various means, striking colors, um, unique designs, simplicity, their ability to convey a message or even evoke emotions, things of that nature. It is a mind trick, so to speak. It's something that is intended to leave a memorable imprint on your thought process so that you feel like whatever you're hearing must be important. It's a sales gimmick. The Republican Party is trying to sell you the illusion of illegality on the part of Joe Biden and his family members. And I'm just going to say it. It's absolute bullshit. It really is. That's why they've got a fancy graphic on the front of the podium. I feel like my personal opinion on this is that with the weight of the House Oversight Committee behind you, if you had anything whatsoever of real substance and importance and a compelling message to deliver the American people, 
you should be able to do that behind what would ordinarily be the authenticity and the legitimacy of a podium in the House of Representatives that carries the seal of Congress on it so that it carries some weight, so that it carries some legitimacy, and so that you feel like that's all you need to be under the impression that the topics that are being presented to you are very serious in nature. And the Republicans can't even do that. They've got to put together a flashy graphic to sell you the illusion of criminality. Because it's a game. They're trying to sell you something that doesn't actually work. They're selling you a faulty product. They're selling you a story. They're selling you a story about a man who at one point they'll go on Fox News and they'll tell you uh, is an absolute cognitive decline that can't tell you what day of the week it was or um, you know what he had for breakfast that morning, who, who can't tell how to which direction to walk out of, of a room, which door to exit from, that from one moment to another is so cognitively impaired that he doesn't know who he is or where he's at. On the flip side, they also want you to believe that that man is one of the most dangerous criminal masterminds that ever walked the face of the earth, and that he is single-handedly behind an international money laundering scheme accepting foreign money as bribes for political influence. you got to make up your mind and have one or the other. can't be both. And it's BS. And that's why they're selling you that story with that ridiculous graphic. So I know that's a little bit of an unusual thing for me to be ticked off about. It's a sign. It's artwork. But you know what? It's bullcrap artwork. And it's something that your tax dollars and my tax dollars paid for. So... Think about that for a little bit. Okay. Man, I've got some stuff to say here. And I'm going to direct this initially at Jamie Harrison. Okay. Jamie, listen up if you're out there. You're currently working as the head of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. You're doing a fine job, my brother, doing an excellent job. I think you're doing a great job as head of the DNC right now. But, man, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you. I am still sore that you lost your senatorial election to Lindsey Graham. I am. You'd think I'd have been able to move on by now. It's been several years. Uh, But I'm still sore, man. I thought you had that one in the bag. I really did. But we've had to put up with another six years of Lindsey Graham, the flip-flopping, the lies, the spinning, the childlike tantrums, the ridiculous machinations of this absurd character. I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to get it out of the way. Lindsey Graham is an embarrassment. As a South Carolinian and a constituent of his, he is an embarrassment as my United States senator. He is an embarrassment to the rest of the nation as a United States senator. From everything involving his handling of election integrity, 
you know, his suggestion that election officials officials in Georgia should potentially discard mail-in ballots, which honestly is just undermining the electoral process and raises serious concerns about voter disenfranchisement and probably should have and could have gotten him indicted all on behalf of Trump. Complete illegality. His statements on the Capitol riot, his initial criticism of Trump right after January 6th, to the time when he made his way through that airport and he got verbally accosted by Trump supporters. Do you remember that? And he tucked his tail between his legs and he ran like a scared little baby. And then it wasn't long after that that he decided, after saying he was washing his hands of Donald Trump, that he was right back on the Trump train again. His statements and his positions on COVID-19 relief measures, vaccination efforts, downplaying the severity of the pandemic, hindering efforts to mitigate its impact at the time, everything that he said and done. I feel like every time this guy opens his mouth, John McCain rolls over in his grave. Do you remember when John was alive, John was at least a moderating influence on Lindsay? Lindsay was still terrible. Don't get me wrong. But he was kind of kept in check a little bit by John McCain. It's like John McCain had the whip on him. He was always standing there by Lindsay side by side. And whenever Lindsay would start to get out of line a little bit, John would crack the whip and Lindsay would kind of get back in place where he belonged. But once John passed, all that went aside and Lindsay became a full-on brown noser for Donald Trump. In fact, he's got his head so far up Donald Trump's rear end I don't know where Donald begins and Lindsay ends at this point. It's disgusting. It's an embarrassment. And that's my blunt assessment of it. That's the way I feel about it. Lindsey Graham is a hawk when it comes to military intervention in the world. He's a bit of a warmonger. Lindsey is controversial by all means, but at the same time, he never met a microphone or an opportunity to speak that he didn't like. Lindsey Graham is a shameless opportunist. He takes every opportunity that he has to appear on cable television, whether that be on Fox News, whether that be on Newsmax, whether it be on whatever right-wing hellscape channel that he can get an appearance on. He takes an opportunity to go on TV, to pluck his little guitar strings of misery, and to spew a bunch of nonsensical BS and whine and complain and cry and further embarrass himself and further embarrass his status as a senator from the state of South Carolina. I said the other day on threads that I was going to have a few things to say about Lindsey Graham. This was primarily influenced by him and other colleagues of his walking out of a hearing the other day something along those lines in true childlike fashion. So that's what I've got to say about Lindsey Graham. Um, he's just a horrible person, a completely horrible person. I hate to be so blunt about it, uh, but that's the way I feel. And uh, I'm going to put that out there. So it is what it is. But uh, that being said, Jamie, I wish you had won that election, brother, because I'm telling you right now, I would have been a hell of a lot more proud to have you as my United States Senator Um, than that current piece of trash we've got up there in Washington right now.
Well, here we are again with 2023 coming up to a close soon. We've got Christmas coming up in a couple of weeks. And as I've been reflecting on things and thinking about the upcoming holidays, I've thought a little bit about something that I used to do with my kids at Christmas time when it was a little bit, uh, when they were a little bit younger. So on Christmas Eve, we used to go to the NORAD website. Now, NORAD stands for North American Air Defense Command. This is a military operation that monitors air traffic um, over North America, keeps America safe. And every year on Christmas Eve, they put out a Santa tracker where you can go online and you can see exactly where Santa's positioned as he makes his journey around the world, delivering gifts to all the good little boys and girls. And it's a fun thing that you can do because you can also tell your kids, hey, Santa's nearby, which means it's time for you guys to go to bed. So you can shuffle them off to bed um, so that Santa can come and he can deliver his magic down the chimney. Now, that got me thinking about how all of that got started. Where did this originate? And how in the world did the military get involved with the Santa Tracker? And why do they still run this thing on a yearly basis? So I dug into it a little bit, and I came across a rather fun little story on NPR. And I'm going to read to you um, some excerpts from this story now, just to kind of give you some background on how the Santa Tracker began. This Christmas Eve, people all over the world are going to log on to the official Santa Tracker to follow his progress through U.S. military radar. This all started in 1955 with a simple misprint in a Colorado Springs newspaper and a call to Colonel Harry Shoup's secret hotline at the Continental Air Defense Command, known today as NORAD. Shoup's children, Terry, Rick, and Pam, recently visited with NPR to talk about how this tradition began. Terry remembers her dad had two phones on his desk, including a red one. Only a four-star general at the Pentagon and my dad had this number, she says. Now, this was in the 50s. This was at the height of the Cold War. And he would have been one of the first ones to know if there was an attack on the United States, said Rick. One day, December 1955, the red phone rang. And Shoup answered it, Pam said. And then there was a small voice on the other end of the line that simply asked, Is this Santa Claus? His children remember Shoup as being a straight-laced and disciplinarian man. And he was a little annoyed, and he was upset by the call, and he thought it was a joke. But then, Terry says, the little voice started crying. And Dad realized that it wasn't a joke, her sister says. So he talked to him. He ho-ho-hoed, and he played along, and he asked if he'd been a good boy and asked what he wanted for Christmas. And then he asked the child, may I talk to your mother, please? And then the mother got on the line and said to him, you haven't seen the paper yet? There's a phone number to call Santa. It's in the Sears ad. Dad looked it up, and sure enough, there it was, his red phone number. The number had been accidentally misprinted, by Sears in a newspaper ad. And they had children calling one after another. So he put a couple of airmen on the phones to act like Santa Claus whenever the kids would call. It got to be a big joke at the command center. You know, the old man's really flipped his lid this time. We're answering Santa calls, Terry says. The airmen had this big glass board with the United States on it and Canada. And when airplanes would come in, they would track them, Pam says. And on Christmas Eve of 1955, when Dad walked in, he found that there was a drawing of a sleigh with eight reindeer coming over the North Pole, said Rick. Dad said, what is this? 
the men said, Colonel, we're sorry. We were just making a joke. Do you want us to take that down? Dad looked at it for a while, and the next thing you know, Dad ended up calling the radio station, and he said, hey, this is the commander at the combat alert center, and we've got an unidentified flying object to report. Well, it looks like a sleigh. Well, not long after that, the radio stations would call him every hour on the hour, and they would ask, hey, where's Santa now? And they would put out updates to their listeners. And later in life, he got letters from all over the world, people saying, thank you, Colonel, for having, you know, this sense of humor. And in his 90s, Terry said, he would carry those letters around with him in a briefcase that had a lock on it, like it was top secret information. You know, he was an important guy, but this is the thing that he's known for. Yeah, Rick says, it's also probably the thing that he was proudest of, too. What a neat little story that tells you a little bit about how that got started. A simple misprint in a Sears ad. And all these years later, we're still enjoying the NORAD Santa Tracker. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the Old Cranky Bones Podcast. I am super appreciative that you took the time to download the episode this week. If you're not already following or subscribed to the show, please do so now at your preferred podcast platform of choice. I hope I at least entertain you a little bit while you were doing your laundry, washing the dishes, or just driving down the highway this week. If you want to follow me on social media, my exclusive new home is on Instagram threads. That's Instagram threads on social media. The username is oldcranky underscore bones. I am no longer on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, because Elon Musk has recently further revealed himself to be an anti-Semitic and unapologetic jackass. And I have deactivated my account over there. But hey, thank you again so much for tuning in. I hope you download next week's new episode. Have a fantastic week, everybody, and stay safe.